Good morning. We welcome you to the services of the Boonville Church of Christ. If you're visiting with us, uh, we're honored to have you here. We hope we get to meet you and we hope this is not your only visit. If you're joining us on social media, we welcome you. There is a friendship register on each pew. We had asked that we get a record of everyone's attendance, so if you would, please pass that down the aisle. The ushers will pick it up at the end of services today. In our worship today, Brother Joe Garrett will be leading us in singing. Brother Luther Mormon has the opening prayer. Brother Turner Foster has the scripture reading. Brother Ken Forrest, the lesson. Brother Cameron Jumper will lead us as we observe the Lord's Supper. And then Brother Todd Sweeney will have announcements in our closing prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Our loving Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your blessings. There's no greater blessing than Jesus Christ and the opportunity to come together and worship you. We are so thankful for all that you do for us. We know that all spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus. We're thankful for the plan that you put together and for the Bible. We know it's our roadmap to heaven. We pray that you would bless us in our study today, that you would accept our worship unto thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. <clears throat> First song this morning is Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. If you sing out of the songbook, it's number 589. 589.
Father, that our worship this day will be pleasing in our sight. We're thankful, Father, for the building that the church can come together and assemble. We're thankful for those that may have sacrificed to give us this comfortable building, Father. We're thankful, Father, for these songs of praise that we have sung in our name. And we pray for Brother Ken as he brings the lesson to our words. I will give him a good remembrance of his study, Father. We pray for the sick, Father, for those that are unable to be with us, Father. Let thy blessing be upon them, and that will comfort them and help them, Father. We pray for those that may have procedures done this week, and at thee, Father, thy blessing be upon them, and pray that I get good results, Father. We're thankful for our elders, and we pray for them, Father, as they watch for our souls as we assemble and go about our daily lives. Thankful for our nation. We pray, Father, that would help lead our nation in a way to be pleasing 
unto thee and in accordance with thy will. Ask thee, Father, that we'll go with through this hour of worship and we ask forgiveness in sin might be against us as we repent and turn from those things, Father. These words are in Christ's name. Amen. The invitation song will be All Things Are Ready. It's not in the book. It'll only be on flash drive. The song before the lesson this morning will be number 870. 870, Beyond This Land of Parting. <clears throat> Beyond this land of parting, losing and leaving. Because he is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Those with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Good morning, everybody. Morning. Terrific to see you. Love the weather, don't you? Get those old heavy coats out, dust them off, and get ready for the winter that's coming. It's so exciting. Get that heat behind us and just enjoy, I don't know, more temperate weather. It's a little cool, but it'll settle down and we'll just enjoy 
a tremendous fall for whatever's left of it, and then we'll usher into winter. Oh, won't we have a comfortable, lovable time then? I hope we have a little snow eventually, don't you? Just enough to lighten the ground and make a beautiful bit of scenery. But I'm so glad that you're here and you've chosen to be a part of our worship this morning. I know that we have some visitors here today and you truly are an honored guest. The reason I say that is because we are God's family here. And when you're a part of our worship, you truly are a guest. You've, you've come into our home setting and we welcome you and we would love for you to continue to be a part of that. We love one another and we would, we would love you too. Ben is back today. Ben and Joanne have been back because over the few weeks hence, they have endured some physical maladies, especially Ben, but we're just really thrilled that he's able to be here. And they made this comment when they walked through the door, and that is that it is just not the same online as it is in real life. Yes, Unless I'm just deathly ill, I, I just, I don't know. It's something about the impersonal nature of watching it online. Now, I'm thankful that we have the ability to stream our services for those members who are not able to get out. I'm very thankful for that. And I'm thankful that, you know, if, if we're in the live service and there's something that we need to review we can just call that back up or we can share things with our friends. And that, that's just a tremendous tool that we can use. But I'm telling you, there is nothing that compares with being together, greeting one another and hearing those voices around you that are being lifted up in song and to feel the presence of everyone as we go to God in prayer right there in the presence of God. And as we will partake of the Lord's Supper and give, all these things are tributes to God that just cannot be replicated online. I'm sorry, but it just can't. So I'm glad you're here and that we can be together on a day like this. And welcome back, folks who've been sick that we've been praying for. And I'm sure there are others... No, we've had a lot of people sick with the flu and other things, and we're glad that you're back. And for those that are still sick, we pray for you. In this time, we are also engaged in worship. It seems a little strange, I guess, because, I mean, maybe we're doing something you do every day. We're opening the Word of God and we're studying it. Of course, it's as a group, but it's really more than that when we're assembled together at this time. Now, as one body, we are meditating on the Word of God and translating that in our spirits to a glorification of God. We're lifting Him up. We are, we are worshiping Him in our meditation upon the Word of God. It's more than just trying to learn a few things. This, this should, for all of us, be to one degree or another a sort of if it's not a life-changing experience, it certainly should be one of those experiences that adds to our life. 
or helps us in the, the walk that we're walking for Jesus. Today, I'm hoping that what we study will be a help to us as we struggle to be Christians in a world that we just don't exactly fit into. I hope that'll come across today because you and I, we serve under the Lamb of God who is described in our text as being the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We are a victorious people and we should never feel otherwise. Before we begin that, let's pray that God will help us in this endeavor in worship. Our Father, thank you for this privilege that we have to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for all of these avenues of worship. But now as we're centering our hearts and our minds upon this text of scripture, I pray that you'll help us to be able to pull from it those things that will touch our souls. I pray, Lord, that you will help me as a, a facilitator, as a proclaimer of this word, that I can express it in a way that's useful to everybody that's in here and in a way that represents exactly what you once said. I pray for those who hear these words today that your word will be alive in them, that it will be like a two-edged sword that pierces even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and will be a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of all of our hearts. I pray, Lord, that your word's just going to be really effective in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start by saying that you and I, as God's family, if we are faithful to the Lord in that family, as part of that family, then we are a secure people. We ought not have to second guess that fact. The Bible teaches that that is absolutely true. So long as we are faithful to the Lord to our part in the family. But there is, well, there's an interesting text. We've already read it together from Revelation 17, verse 14. It's kind of the culmination of a lot of things that happen in this book. We find out that there's a war going on. In fact, it begins this way. It says, these are the ones who make war with the lamb. We wonder who these are. And if that was a question in your mind, you only have to go back a few verses to realize that it was basically a picture of the entirety of the war that was taking place against the church in that time. It's described as a picture of 10 kings who have gotten together and one by one, they are given authority to oppress the people of God, Revelation 13 and verse 7. And not only that, that they are in league with this one referred to as the beast. So the beast and these 10 kings have mounted themselves up 
against the Lamb of God, making war against him. But not to worry, because this text also says that that very Lamb is the one who will overcome them. And the reason is because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read texts of Scripture, I always try to have a lookout for something that really is designed for me. And I noticed it there, did you? That text said that those are with him. Those who are with him, with the Lamb of God, the one who is overcoming the beast and the ten kings, the one who is overcoming that which is at war with him, that one, that Lamb of God, has some who are with him. That should be us. And he describes them as being called and chosen and faithful. You and I, called, chosen, and faithful. We're with the Lamb of God. We can overcome whatever entity or entities are aligned against the one who will overcome, the Lamb of God. Now, thinking about the time in which this was originally written, I'm thinking about John as he's writing to these churches and understanding they were already experiencing or would soon experience a great deal of oppression. And keep in mind that God was allowing that oppression to come. I mentioned Revelation 13, verse 7. They were given a time in which they were allowed to do this, to per persecute the church. It was a time that was really designed for a kind of purging. That is to determine those who really were stalwarts of the faith. Those who were going to endure no matter what. Now, many people in natural reaction to something that's uncomfortable or as this is described, a time of oppression, they just give up immediately. They don't want the discomfort of it. They don't want to have to deal with any kind of stress or trial. And so for many of those, they just turned away from the faith. They were very weak. They were like the chaff, the scripture would say, that the wind drives away. They just, they give up at the very first sign of difficulties, but others would endure to great lengths, even to the loss of their own lives, in order to hold on to the faith in the Lamb of God who washed their sins away in his own blood. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. There were seven churches that this book originally addressed. You and I, in the earlier part of this year, month by month, had examined every single one of those churches. And if any of that comes back to mind, one thing is obvious throughout. And that is there was always the encouragement that if that church would be faithful, they would overcome. Some of those churches had gone to the place where, for all intents and purposes, they were already classified as unfaithful. But there was always held out the, the possibility 
But somehow or some way, maybe by the rebuke that is represented in this book, that they would come to their senses, would repent and return to their first love. They would become faithful once again. And if they would become faithful and they would then become overcomers, they would be able to transcend the trial that they were facing. Maybe the best representation of that idea is a text we often use from Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Who will give you the crown of life? None other than the victor, the Lamb of God, None other than the one who is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He is the one who gives security to the family of God. So today, I just, I want to break down this thing from two standpoints in terms of the victory that can be had because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I want to talk about the victory that is seen in these scriptures for the Lamb of God. And then based on what we find about the Lamb of God, to have the confidence that you and I have victory as the family of God. So victory for the Lamb of God. No matter what time you are in, whether it is in this specific time into which this letter had been inserted, the, the admonitions, the encouragements that are given there that despite all these trials and tribulations, that ultimately if you'll be faithful, there will be victory. There is the first, the, the promise to all these churches that if they would, they would repent, if they would get their act together, that they could be party to that victory. And then what ensues is a description of all that God was doing behind the scenes in order to ensure that that victory would come. Yes, there is a time of purging. There is a time of testing. But ultimately, the victory is assured. There is never any doubt as to the fact that victory would be had. But there is always the encouragement and the warning to the children of God who are in the midst of the fight, whether it was in the first century or that century that followed or even by extension to the time that we live in now, that we always keep in mind what God's program is for success and victory. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul's addressing Timothy, kind of getting his mind right about the mission. And he says, I exhort first of all that supplication, prayers, and intercessions be made for all people, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. He says the reason for this is that God desires all men to be saved, verse 4 and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's desire is that his word be preached and that people come to a knowledge of the truth, that, that they come to the place where they hear the, hear the truth, they understand it, they obey it, and they are saved. But he says, what I want you to do first of all, before you even think about going out into your generation of people and presenting that gospel message, before you lay yourself out there, before you do the thing that is acceptable in the sight of God, 
before you ever step foot on that territory. Back up for a minute and set your mind that you're going to pray for those who are already in place, that the circumstances will be lined up for your success. Now, oftentimes when we read this text, the first thing that we put emphasis on is that we should be praying for our leaders. And hey, that's, that's exactly right. He said to pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. No, godliness and, and reverence. I, yes, I get that. But please don't miss the first thing that he says to pray for. He says to pray for all men, for all people, including those who are your leaders. I guess maybe our minds naturally go right to the leaders because we think they're the ones who have all the power and the authority. And so if there is a regime that's in place that doesn't give us you know, access or somehow stands in the way of the presentation of the gospel. First thing we want to do, it makes sense. I want to pray for my leaders so that they will open it up so that the gospel can move freely. Hey, great, peace, wonderful. But most likely, that's not really who you're going to be butting heads with when you're trying to present the gospel. Most likely, that's going to happen in your everyday life. People. Not necessarily, not necessarily people in authority or kings in high places, but your friend at work. The people you choose to socialize with. Those are the very people we ought to be praying for on a continuing basis. We ought to have specific names in mind of those folks that we really want the gospel to tear down the wall. We, we want to be able to have access to that heart right there. And yeah, I want to pray for those who are in authority that they can legislate and open doors. But even if they don't, think about the first century. It was very much stacked against the presentation of the gospel. And yet, how did it go? It wasn't by just simple confrontation with leadership but it was door to door, house to house, person to person. Lord, help me to be able to tear down that barrier or that wall that stands in the way of the presentation of the gospel. Help me, first of all, to reach those people so that we might be able to present that truth. In the first century, whether it was on a very personal one-on-one -on -one relationship or whether it was bigger, an effort to pray for and tear down the walls of those who are in leadership as well. Uh, understand that there were real serious obstacles to the presentation of God's truth, the salvation of men that God so deeply desired. Some people died in the course of the presentation of the gospel. In Acts chapter 7, verses 59 and 60, the famous final stage of the life of Stephen, that godly man who is now stoned to death. And just as Jesus asking for the forgiveness of those who basically don't know what they're doing, who are standing in the way of the presentation of the salvation of all men. Or if you go a little bit later into this book in chapter 12, just the opening verses, 
You see that James the Apostle is martyred for the faith. And because that pleased the crowd of those who were in opposition to the truth, the authorities decided to grab Peter as well and throw him into prison, presumably to take his life if given the opportunity. Here in the book of Revelation, in chapter 2, we have Antipas in verse 13, who was a member of the church in Pergamos. He was martyred for the faith. And in fact, there is a crying out of those souls of the martyred in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9 who are crying out for mercy and vengeance on the part of the Lord who had allowed for a time the persecution of his people. They had been oppressed for the purpose ultimately of the expansion of the gospel. I, I don't know how many of us given the test of our life on the line, would actually persevere? Do you know the answer to that question? Some people maybe not so much dying for the cause, but certainly were persecuted for the cause. Again, persecution comes in all forms. And I remember Jesus there before Saul of Tarsus, one of the points that he made is Saul is, is gathering himself up, having paper or authority to go to Damascus and gather up Christians and bring them back for persecution. The Lord says to him in chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, he says, look, as much as you are persecuting them, you're persecuting me. Why are you doing this to me? So all persecution, whether it was overt and very obvious, whether it was, was uh, under the sur surface in terms of, you know, belittling others or bringing accusation against them or just slander toward Christians, however that was measured, there was plenty of persecution to go along. How many of us could withstand that for a time? You know, just endure the continuing affront that society would bring to us. Oh, you're a Christian. And so just the accusations or the, the belittling of the positions that you would hold. Continual affronts to the faith that you're trying to hold on to. Sometimes it was just, well, let's just call it what it was, seduction. Not necessarily trying to catch you in your truth, but just to bring you out of it, to lure you out of the truth into something that would be easier. That's what was happening according to Revelation chapter 2 when Jezebel, verses 19 and 20, was in effect. I don't know who Jezebel was, but that's representative of a heart that said, hey, you know, being a Christian is pretty tough. Remember how easy it was when, you know, you worshiped gods that accepted sexual immorality as worship? Remember those days? Or, you know, the participation in idolatrous practice, at least we could kind of get back into that by eating meats offered to idols. Who cares if that offends weaker Christians? Listen, we, we, we've had enough of all this oppression. Let's get back to living a little bit, the seduction of a time. 
Now, when you hear that, you, you may say, well, Ken, you already kind of qualified that, and you've been referencing us to events that happened, okay, hello, the first century. <laughs> you know, I can't relate to that. I'm not a first century person. I, I don't know what it was like to be under the thumb of the Roman government and what that really meant in terms of a day-to-day -day experience. Yeah, I know people died. Yeah, I know people were persecuted. I understand how someone could be seduced to do this or that just to get away from that oppression. I got it. I don't have that problem now. I don't face that kind of assault on my Christianity. Well, yeah, what we do, it's, it's not... It's not pronounced like that. But maybe it's more difficult. Maybe, in a way, what we're facing in terms of the war that's being waged against the Lamb and those who would claim to be with the Lamb, I'm going to say that these are pretty tough times in the war. Let's, let's recenter our thoughts for a minute. I want you to think about something Jesus said. It's, it's a simple text you probably know it by heart. It's Matthew 6 and verse 24. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I know how we typically look at that text, and absolutely nothing wrong with it, because literally... That's maybe the end game of the text. Just we think about, well, either I serve the Lord or I serve mammon. Then we define mammon. We say, well, you know, that's probably like worldly riches. And so, hey, absolutely. Materialism, that is a struggle in our time. But uh, back up to really what is the heart of this whole thing right here. This, this one little text. And that is, we're really talking about the battle that exists between well, I'm going to say two kingdoms, but I'm going to say one kingdom on the one hand is the kingdom of the Lamb of God, the kingdom of God. On the other hand is any other kingdom. You say, well, what do you mean any other kingdom? Well, in this scenario, it is either I'm serving the Lord 100% or I'm serving the other. That's where we're going to fill in the blank, 100%. So there's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Lamb of God, opposed to, well, there are all kinds of alternative kingdoms these days. I was thinking, maybe there is a kingdom of social media. There was an interesting illustration that was given in a class I took yesterday. It was, it was to help us to understand truly what's valuable. And in that scenario, it was your life. What would you be willing to risk your life for? And the illustration used, and maybe you've heard this before, but it's the shark tank illustration. You drop something in a shark tank, you determine immediately the value of your life, right? Am I willing to risk my life to jump into that tank with a shark in it in order to retrieve what's there. Now, question, if my child fell into that tank, 
Would I be willing to risk a shark attack in order to get my child out? And the answer is without a doubt. Absolutely, I would. (laughs) But then the person who was using this illustration did not then follow it with something like, well, you know, if if I dropped a spoon or a fork in there, would I dive in? Of course not. No, the illustration that the person used was a cell phone. If you dropped your cell phone into there, now see, here's here's the disconnect. This person that was using the illustration was about my age. And so for those of us who are about my age, we didn't grow up with a cell phone. And so if I drop my cell phone in a shark tank, listen, friend, I am not diving in it if there's a shark in there. But I'm not so sure (laughs) about younger generations. If that cell phone dropped in there, you know, for many young people, that is their life. And what happens on that cell phone is their life. You say, Ken, that's a little sensational. And and maybe so. So let me just go to the ultimate point right here. How many times have you read, or as in Anita and, and my case, we know of a family that this happened to, maybe a couple or more families that this happened to, where one of their children was bullied online. They're just on their phone. They're typing away. They're communicating. Somehow or other, their messages gets, get mixed up and someone starts bullying them and the child takes their life over what was on the cell phone. When that child says, that phone is my life, I'm thinking, you know, whether they realize that's what they mean or not, it probably is true. There are some people who, for the cell phone, would dive into the shark tank. And I'm wondering, how many things in our lives would we dive into the shark tank for? What kingdom is it that we are in that we are giving our 100% to? Maybe it's not social media at all. Maybe it's, maybe it's high school football, NCAA football, professional football. Or you could just, if football's not your thing, put in the thing that is your thing. The thing that you are spending all your money on. The thing that you talk incessantly about. The thing that you will buy, you'll buy season tickets and not even use all the season tickets. You will go and you will sit for hours upon hours and watch a game in weather that you wouldn't even sit in your backyard for. But because it's your team, you'll sit in the snow and the ice and the rain. You'll do whatever it takes, drive hundreds of miles. Whenever anybody talks about it, you know all the stats, you know every player, you know exactly what's going. You watch that game and you remember, now you remember at the uh, 1258 point when they were at such and such and had these and what happened then? Oh, and back in 1965, you remember, oh wait, you weren't born then, but I read about it because this this is my team. My son, when he was little, He liked to collect baseball cards and football cards. So I thought, you know, I'll make this point with him about, you know, he doesn't know that much about it because he would kind of give some stats once. So I picked up a card and I said, tell me something about so-and-so. He told me the batting average, where all they had played, what they had done year after year. I was like, 
okay, maybe I just, you know, got a lucky card. So I picked another card. I said, tell me about, so, oh, well, that one is this and this. Hey, and if you get the one next to it, it's, and I'm like, what in the world? That boy had spent all this time memorizing and putting all of those stats and the pictures of the cards in his mind. It just filled his mind with information. You got those friends who you just kind of wanted to know maybe what was the knocking sound in your automobile. And before you know it, you're hearing about bore and stroke and about all kinds of things you never intended to know. Simply because that person has such a depth of knowledge. They spend all their time thinking about and mesmerized about the details. But that person who knows all that could possibly known, be known about the ball team or the automobile or the peripherals that go along with it, like ball cards. That person who knows all of those things. And yet, I could say, what, what would you say I need to do to be saved? They, they wouldn't have a clue. Or they wouldn't have much to say about it. They don't really, don't really know because that, you know, that's not really my, that's not really my thing. My thing is this. My question is, what, what kingdom are we a part of? What is it that we have given ourselves to 100%? Is it, is it, is it travel ball? Is it the job that we have? Is it our recreational activities? I, I can tell you every single model of a Zebco fishing uh, mechanism. Say, <laughs> I don't even know the terminology. But maybe you do. Maybe you know. You're thinking, kid, he don't know. He don't know anything about I could tell him, wonderful. But does that really matter? What is going to matter is not my allegiance to the kingdom of Zebco <laughs> or my job or my recreational activity or my ball team. All those things, they're fun to a limit. But the thing I ought to be committed to, the thing I'm 100% in line with should be the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Lamb of God. When I say the kingdom, then I'm talking about the one that is described, that Lamb of God who is the Lord of lords and King of kings. To be the Lord means that He is the ruler. He, he is the absolute so whatever, whatever it is that he says, that's the thing I'm going to be in line with. And you know what? I can have all kinds of passions in my life. So long as those passions are kept within the purview, within sight of the kingdom of God. Everything that I do ought to be nuanced with my understanding, my, my, my part that's played in the kingdom of God. Because I'm following one ruler. Now, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, question, 
Why, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Why, why would you call me your king when you're really not, really not participating in my agenda at all? Or if you want to expand that idea, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, beginning verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. For many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus is not after adherents who are just kind of on the surface level, who are uninvolved. Jesus is looking for those who are 100% committed to the kingdom. So, the Lamb, the Lamb who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings is going to be victorious. The Lord, the Lamb, is going to be victorious. The question is, Am I going to be victorious with him? How, how can the family of God have this victory? Well, it, it's pretty simple, right? I, I'm, I've got to align myself with the lamb who is to overcome who is able to overcome, able to become victorious because he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. I set myself under his reign. Now, for those who are in what Revelation 21 verse 27 refers to as the Lamb's book of life, for those who are in the Lamb's book of life, those people have, because of their commitment to the things of God, a deep sensitivity to what's going on around them in the world. In other words, ungodliness is not something that goes unnoticed by those who are in that book. It's because they're completely committed to the one that they are serving. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life that is uh, outside of them, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all in cleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have learned from him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the old man, the old works which grow corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put off, put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, true righteousness and holiness, not just a lip service to the Lord, but a delineation. I'm no longer going to serve any other kingdom. I'm no longer going to serve what is in the world. I'm going to participate. I'm going to serve in the kingdom of God. So those who are in the Lamb's book of life are able to discern this age as described there in Ephesians 4. They're going to be able to delineate and make a difference between what is right and what is wrong, what is a part of the kingdom and what is not, and how to apply the kingdom to the other aspects of their life. Those who are not in the Lamb's book of life, they don't, they don't delineate it. There is no difference. 
even show up for a worship service, kind of put in the time, throw in maybe a check in the collection, do all of the things that check the list, but are really only surface matters. Am I committed or am I not committed? Am I with the overcomer, the Lamb of God, or am I being overcome by the world around me? He says that those who are with the Lamb are called, chosen, and faithful. You know, called by the gospel. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, actually verse 39, we find out that those who actually obeyed the gospel, who repented and were baptized, they had the forgiveness of sins in verse 38. But in verse 39, this was not just for them, but to you and to your children and to those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Being called by that same gospel message. Or in the presentation of the gospel itself in Romans chapter 10, he starts off at verse 13 by asking that very same question and then describes it. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The gospel message heard and received and acted upon. Answering the call of salvation, the call of the gospel. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren. And here's the reason. Because he says, verse 14, they had been called by the gospel. They had been sanctified by the Spirit as a result of that. Holiness set apart, made different. How? In response to the call of the gospel. Having their sins washed away in the kingdom of God. What a beautiful prospect. But he says they were called and they were, he says they were chosen. Another word for that is the idea of election, of being the elect of God. It is the response to the call of God. I, I hear God's call of the gospel, I respond to it. That puts me in a new position before God. Those that God intended for salvation from before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, blessed be the God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. And we are, we are the faithful. That is, not only have we responded to the gospel and been identified with the people of God, but we made the decision that we're never leaving it. You know, we've had our sins washed away and we're going to be faithful Revelation 2.10, until death. Probably the greatest example that ever lived is the Apostle Paul, who endured much just to become a Christian. 
and then endured so much more as he became an apostle of the gospel to the Gentiles. But in a summation of that commitment, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 6, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. I like that last part. I'm so glad that was added, aren't you? It's not like Paul was such a stellar example of faith that he alone was able to receive this tremendous blessing. That's not what he says. He says, what I have is what you can have. But, you know, you're going to have to be faithful all the way to the end. So, yeah, the Lamb is victorious. And, of course, He is. He's the Lord of Lords and He's the King of Kings. But if the family of God's going to be victorious, then that means that we're going to continue to be the called and the chosen and the faithful. Listen, I, I want to have victory, don't you? I want to have the assurance to be secured as the family of God. And, and I can be, just as you can be, if we will be faithful all the way to the end. But what does it take? It takes a special attitude, but it also takes a special provision. After all, he did say this is a war that's going on. So be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. All the saints. That's you and me. Don't go out into this world in this war without your armor on. We're assured victory. And I love the, I love the passage from 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 51. Paul says, Behold, I, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible was put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? For the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have that victory today? If you're a child of God, what kingdom, what kingdom are you really in? 
you're not a child of God today, in obedience to the gospel, you can be added to the kingdom of God. You can become a part of the secured family of God. You'll rise up out of that water in obedience to the gospel, baptism. You walk faithfully to the end. You'll have that same crown that Paul was striving in anticipation of. Anybody need to respond today? We need to pray for you or see your sins washed away. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing.
As we come to partake of the Lord's Supper, we come here in a time of remembrance. And we look here in a worldly way of remembering and how things we forget and how things are small. If you can imagine if the world still exists a hundred years from today, if you was to walk up the street and someone were to ask, do you know who Cameron Jumper is? I'm going to say you'd be pretty hard pressed to find someone that remembers or knows, or many of us here even for that fact. In the same token, if you go to the greatest parts of the earth a hundred years from now, I have no doubt in my mind that Jesus Christ, his name will be known and be proclaimed. Luke one thirty two says, He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give, the, give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. He told Peter, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. His name truly is high and exalted highly above all the rest. I hope this time we're reminded of how great his name is and how great his sacrifice was, is, and will always be. I think of John as he's seen Christ coming towards him. He said, Behold the Lamb which take away the sins of the world. For this time, let's give thanks for the bread. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have to come before thee. Lord, we pray as we partake of this and pray, Lord, that we will do it in a manner well-pleasing to thee, representing thy body. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Let's also give thanks for the cup. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee again for all the many blessings and wonderfulness that we enjoy through you. Lord, we pray that we'll come here and partake of this cup, representing thy blood. Pray that we'll be ever so grateful for all the things done for us. Pray, Lord, we'll partake of it in a manner satisfactory to thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As today also we prepare to give a portion back into him as we've prospered. Pray, Lord, that we'll do it in a, a cheerful manner and a giving heart to further his kingdom. Let's give thanks for how he's blessed us. Dear Heavenly Father, we're ever so thankful of all that we have and all that we have because of you. Lord, we're so thankful for our health, our strength, our ability, our skills, our knowledge. We're so thankful of all of these physical blessings that was given us. Lord, we pray most of all that we will use these things and use all of these into thy glory and to the helping of, of one another. Lord, we pray as we give back, we pray that we will do it cheerfully and do it for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are glad you've chosen to spend the morning with us to worship God. And, and if you will, uh, fill out a friendship card that's in the back of the pew in front of you that we could have a record of your attendance. Uh, as always, remind everyone of the bulletin, uh, those uh, announcements that are in the, the bulletin, I'll go over just a few of those. Some of those things are taking place today. Uh, devotional at Landmark Nursing Home and Rehab is at three o'clock. Jay Seno is in charge of that this morning. Uh, also, last to leaders today, Bible Bowl will meet at 415. And also, lads song leading and songs of praise will meet in the TAC right after worship service this morning. So if you're involved in that, be sure that you uh, attend that. Uh, this week's food pantry item will be canned yams. Also remind everyone of the SOS uh, Saving One Soul bags. There's still some available in the foyer out front. Pick those up if you need those. Uh, also, we'll be taking a seventh grade college age girls to the Leoma Church of Christ, the Young Ladies Day on November the 19th. Please see Carrie Parson if you're uh, interested in that. And also, this will be announced again throughout midweek. Remind everyone during Thanksgiving week that our uh, traditional service will be that Tuesday night. We had 275 in attendance this morning. That's all the announcements that I have. If you'll bow, I'll dismiss us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity we've had to come and worship you in song and praise. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the many wonderful blessings in life that you have bestowed upon each and every one of us, Father. Help us to have the insight to recognize those blessings, whether they be big or small. Father, we have many of your number here that are sick, that are going through difficult times, or lost loved ones. Father, we ask that you comfort them as only you can. Father, go with us throughout the rest of this week and just help us to be a shining example of the Christian that, that would be pleasing unto you. Help us to introduce those to your word. And Father, help us to spread your word to those we can every chance we have. Most of all, Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross, that we might have forgiveness of our sins and an opportunity of home in heaven with thee one day. 
It's through his precious name we pray. Amen.